0: Developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake. I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach. and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Our special guest on today's show is Ed Evarts. He's a leadership and team coach, a strategist, author of the book Drive Your Career He's also the host of Be Brave at Work podcast. Before we get a chance to speak with Ed, it's the Leadership Hacker News. In the news today, we're going to explore the notion of productivity and how that's been impacted during the pandemic. UK staff admitted that they get away with an average of two hours and twenty minutes less work per day because their line managers and leaders are struggling to adapt to remote working habits during the COVID-19 era. Following a poll completed by workforce behavioural consultants Mindgym, where they interviewed 2000 professionals who are currently employed, which means they're neither furloughed nor serving notice. The poll shows that employees could be really taking advantage of the remote working patterns to disguise slack in their schedules, which if as leaders were not careful, could trigger a productivity collapse. According to the poll, 43% of respondents said they can carry out more than two hours less work per day without their line managers even noticing. So let's explore some of the other key data in the poll. 37% of UK workers are less motivated in their jobs, and as a result, 30% admit to being less productive. Half claim that their line managers have had no impact on their performance whatsoever during remote working. Almost a fifth claim their line managers have had a negative impact on their work. 28% 28% cite that either a clear lack of guidance or boredom with tasks as been key to their disengagement. More than a fifth claim to not know what's going on with their immediate teams on a day-to-day basis. In addition, a quarter feel tired and exhausted from working from home, with one in five suffering from severe loneliness. Mindgym's co-founder and CEO Octavius Black said, given the anxiety from lockdown and the ineffectiveness of managers in this new environment, masses of UK workers are likely to either opt out or burn out. The impact on UK productivity would be catastrophic. The way to prevent this crisis is not to stop remote working, which, when properly handled, can bring great benefits, but for leaders to step up and develop new managerial muscles needed to lead effectively in this turbulent era. Of course, this is not just a UK issue. Wherever in the world you're listening to this podcast from, we'll all experience similar behaviors if we open our eyes to it. And these behaviors could also be present in your business too. So is the answer stronger leadership to fix the problem? So in my experience, it would help if the standards, expectations, and consequences of both positive and adverse behaviors were really clearly defined. We can properly assess our effectiveness together. Compassion is a key driver how many of us as leaders would have asked over the pandemic what do you need from me so that you can be good and you can do the best work you can And of course this isn't micromanagement this is about unlocking a sense of autonomy in your team and what we have to do as leaders is to recognize that we need to tune in to what our teams need from us as leaders at a much more deeper level than ever before so that's been the leadership happy news today if you have any insights news or stories please get in touch. Joining me on the show today is Ed Everts. He's a leadership and team coach. He's the podcast host for Being Brave at Work, and he's the author of his new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility of Your Own Success. Ed, welcome to the Leadership Hacker Podcast. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. So, it's always great to get a fellow podcast host on the show, too. Uh, that's part of what you do now. But tell us a little bit about the backstory that got you to be author, coach, podcaster. How did that all happen?
1: Well, 12 years ago, I was not an author, coach or podcaster. I was working in corporate America in a variety of roles uh, in retailing and in business to business services with a business focus in human resources. I left my last organization in May of 2008 and decided I had really completed my experience working in corporations. I found that experience to be very unrewarding and exhausting. And so I decided to explore the idea of doing two things. One, opening my own business and working for myself and then figuring out what I would do and the answer came quite easily which was coaching and so i spent the summer of 2008 networking with people to find out how to coach when to coach what you charge how you get clients i mean everything that you can think of because i was really starting from scratch and by september of 2008 decided i would open up my own practice so today 12 years later i do three uh, areas of business uh, in the marketplace, one is face to face, one on one leadership coaching. Although today, with the coronavirus, most of my coaching is uh, virtual. Right. I, I do team coaching, so I work with teams to be more productive and effective. And then I also do something I call business strategy, which is I work with small businesses who are experiencing something they've not experienced before, and it might be a new geography, it might be new technology, a new acquisition, new products or services, and they don't know how to move forward in effective ways. And so I help them think about that. And then, of course, as you've mentioned, a couple of uh, secondary activities, although they are uh, highly active, the podcast Be Brave at Work. And then my book, Drive Your Career.
0: And we're going to get into Drive Your Career in a moment and have a think about some of the ways in which we can take responsibility for our own career development and success, too. Before we do that, though, perhaps just tell us of some of the key things that you're working specifically with on right now with your clients. So either themes or or things that are presenting themselves that would be of interest.
1: Well, you know, one on one leadership coaching, the challenges that leaders have are very consistent from leader to leader for them. Of course, it is a unique situation, but the challenges that they face are very, very consistent. And these are leaders who are looking to be more visible or add more value to their organizations and in, and just are not sure how to do it. One of the things that we have not allowed to happen in corporations around the globe is spending time with yourself. Right. So, you know, put closing your door and putting your feet up and looking at a whiteboard and saying, who am I and what am I doing and why am I doing it? And am I where I want to be? And things of that nature. We have our heads down working on projects and objectives and goals and initiatives and don't have time to think about ourselves. So the beauty of one-on-one coaching is it provides people uh, time to do that and to think about themselves and so that work is very very exciting and interesting because you get to work in all sorts of industries with all sorts of people with all sorts of challenges and you're really helping them organize them so that they can move through very effectively in team coaching i utilize a program called the five behaviors of a cohesive team and this is based on patrick Lencioni's book the five dysfunctions of a team and with that program we're really helping leaders figure out how to work better together. And uh, it's fantastically rewarding for teams to learn about how they can trust each other more, how they can navigate conflict more, how they can hold each other accountable more. And I love delivering that program and working with clients on that. And then in business strategy the challenges are varied and endless right so there's so many different areas whether it's legal or real estate or marketing or sales or human resources you know whatever it might be that the client needs help with with one client i'm helping implement a revised performance uh, assessment program the current program they have is over 10 years old i mean it was created back in a crazy year like two thousand eight or two thousand nine, right? And it needs updates. And so I'm working with that. Another client, we are doing a salary survey. It's the first one they've done at their organization. And it's a nonprofit, so it has all these unique characteristics that we need to be sensitive to. So I certainly uh have my hands full on a variety of different areas of interest.
0: That's great to see it as well. And they're not mutually exclusive, what you just talked about, are they? So, you know, leaders have to look introspectively. They often have the responsibility to help their team dynamic shape up. And, of course, strategy underpins all of that. So I should imagine you are
1: incredibly busy. Well, and, you know, when you look at one-on-one leadership coaching, as I tell my clients, my number one goal is to help them build their self-awareness so that they can self-manage more effectively. Leaders who have high self-awareness are going to be more effective connecting with others Leaders with low self-awareness, who I'm assuming all of us, you, me, and all of our listeners have uh, experienced, are very hard to work for and very hard to work with, and their career development can be very problematic. So a leader with high self-awareness is more likely to be successful.
0: It's really interesting that I observe when I coach leaders too that without the forced or unforced time that we spend through our coaching environment ie we set some time aside, there is still appears to be this lack of and not always, but a, a general lack of I'm not going to put enough time aside for me, that recovery time, that thoughtful time, it's just treadmill head down versus spend time with the coach what do you think causes
1: that i think it is the culture of the environment and i'm speaking both from my own experience being in corporations for 20 years as well as the recurring experience i have with clients and back when i was a corporate executive we were so busy with so many initiatives and projects and activities and meetings and conference calls we never had time to focus on ourselves nor did the culture encourage it so they never created a place where people could take a half hour a week just to think about yourself. They never created roles where someone could meet with you and say, hey, let's talk about you. How are you doing? How is it going? Are you working on what is exciting and fun for you? Those types of things don't exist naturally in organizations. And uh, I think there are a few organizations that might do that type of work, but most organizations don't do it culturally. And nor do they have people at their companies who kind of foster that type of activity. And so ultimately, it just doesn't exist. And I would tell you that the vast majority of my clients, and in my experience as a corporate professional, it doesn't happen at all.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And uh, the whole kind of self-awareness is where it all starts, of course.
1: It is. You know, I tell my clients all the time that at an organization, the one person who should know how people think about them And how people experience them in the workplace is you, right? I mean, you need to be the person who knows the most about how people experience you and what it's like to work with you. And we don't spend time really helping people do that effectively. And so it's a gap at most organizations.
0: Absolutely right. And that whole self-awareness manifests itself in the same way when we look at our career development, which I suspect is where your interest and appetite come from putting pen to paper. Just tell us, what what was the driver behind you putting pen to paper?
1: So my first book was actually Raise Your Visibility and Value, Uh, Drive Your Career is my second book. My first book came really from my 20 years in corporate organizations and uh, finding time once I became an independent professional. To really put what I had experienced and what I thought was happening in the world uh, into a book. And so, Raise Your Visibility and Value is really focused on helping people be more visible, a subset of which is networking. But, you know, at the time I left my last organization, networking was the key word. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I heard the word networking, I'd be a billionaire. So, uh, but I thought, you know, networking is a key activity, but there's really a bigger broader umbrella, which is visibility, right? That I need to be very visible within my organization and industry. And then if you are going to be visible, you need to ensure that you're providing value. You need to ensure that you're not just a person everybody knows, but nobody knows what you do, but you're seeing very, very valuable at your organization. So that was raise your visibility and value. And then drive your career really comes from my 12 years as a leadership coach And it quite technically, Steve, was one of those shower moments where I was just thinking about how there were current conversations I was having with multiple clients that were very similar. There were very similar experiences and stories that they were having that uh, aligned right from time to time. And, you know, the magic number became nine uh, that I sat down one day and said, so what are these recurring themes or experiences that most of my clients are having most of the time? Over the last 12 years. And so I put a list of nine together and, you know, created some content around each of those. And my goal certainly is to help people build their self awareness by reading some information that can help them create greater alignment between themselves and their career objectives. How much of
0: your experience, Ed, do you think mindset plays into this? Because you call out your nine high-impact ways to take responsibility for your own success, which I wholeheartedly subscribe to. But there is this mindset thing that some people have a perception that it's not my responsibility or I have to wait for opportunity. How how does that play out when, when you think about
1: that? Well, there was a time in organizations where training and development and career development were not your responsibility and organizations had huge structures that set up training for you and programs for you and when you started as a junior executive this is what you had to do and you kept growing and they kept developing you etc today in most organizations the responsibility for that is you and there's not these structures that require you to do X, Y, and Z in order to be successful. Of course, there's still training programs and things of that nature. But the emphasis is really shifted from the company to the individual. And it's really mostly about self-accountability. It's about being more knowledgeable as to who you are and what you want and looking for ways on how to achieve those objectives. And I'm not an expert on mindset, but I would tell you that mindset and getting your head around owning your career versus, and that's why I call it drive your career, because you need to drive where you need to go and what you want to do versus being a passenger is super critical because people who are passengers are going to wake up one day and say, how did I get here? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Whereas drivers say, here's what I need next. Here's what I want to do next. How do I get there? And I go and I figure it out. ensure that I get there and take control of course and take control right you own your career nobody knows you better than you and you need to ensure that you are taking the right steps investing the right amount of time and effort on the things that will help you if roles or opportunities that you're presented with aren't going to help you advance your career make good progress you know whatever the pluses are that you're looking for it might not be the right next step for you right
0: Within the book, there are a couple of chapters I thought would be useful just to unpick because they they intrigued me as I spun through it. The first one was positive relationship with your boss. Tell us a little bit about how important you believe that to be.
1: So I don't put the chapters in order of importance. So it's not like number one is the most important and number nine is the least important. I think all nine are important. Although I'll tell you, number one, I started it with a reason because I do think having a positive relationship with your boss is very important in the workplace and when you think about a boss at the workplace your boss is really like an umbrella that kind of covers your career and covers you as a participant in the organization and when people want to know about you or delegate work to you oftentimes they're going to go to your boss first and so your boss is the person who if they are a good boss and i know not all bosses may fall into that category uh needs to be the gatekeeper for you. And so you need to ensure that you have a, what I call, positive relationship with your boss. It doesn't mean you're best friends. It doesn't mean you go out on Friday nights and get margaritas and visit each other at your home on weekends. But you need to ensure that if somebody asks your boss about you, they have something very positive to say. People who have a good relationship with their boss will have greater career satisfaction. People who have a bad relationship with their boss will have less career satisfaction. There's always a third thing in the room. There's you, there's my boss. And then there's this third thing of animosity or bias or frustration or anger, whatever it might be, that's always there, uh, conflicting our relationship. And I need to get rid of that to ensure that I have a positive relationship with my boss.
0: And it does take work. It takes practice. It takes thought. It takes crafted thinking so that your communication is right. And it is a positive dialogue that you're having. Otherwise, very quickly, some of the things that could present themselves unconsciously, such as biases and so on and so forth, could also then play in. And in, in my experience, Ed, this is kind of fundamental because they are the gatekeeper
1: to whether you get on or not, aren't they? They are. And, you know, as I mentioned, this book came from 12 years of leadership coaching. And while I I am not a statistician, I would tell you that 85 percent of my clients wish they had a better relationship with their boss. And I'm not saying the relationships were bad or that they were enemies, but they wish that their relationships were better. And part of the impact they were experiencing in the workplace partially was due to the relationship not being better.
0: Right. Absolutely spot on. Now, there was one chapter in the book that really made me chuckle, and I'm keen to get inside this with you. And it's bell curves rock. Tell us about that.
1: Well, my wife is a math teacher and she hates the fact that I use that phrase because she thinks I'm misusing uh, what bell curves are. But, you know, this is essentially a reminder to folks that as they present information to their team, as they present information to their organization, they may be presenting information to a board of directors, you know, whomever it might be, is to recognize and think about the information they're presenting like a bell curve, which of course is this, you know, uh, bell shaped uh, mathematical calculation. But on the right are all the people who are going to love your idea. And that's where we tend to spend most of our time. Why is this a good idea? Why is this going to be great for the company? Why is this the most wonderful thing that anybody could ever do? And that's where we tend to spend most of our time. We don't spend enough time on the left side of the bell curve, which are people who won't like the idea. And why won't they like it? And what are the problems it might create? And what are the obstacles that we have to get through? And oftentimes when people go to present information, they spend a lot of time on why this will work, And why this is a wonderful idea and they're underprepared for any challenges or pushback they might get. And so it's essentially a reminder to be equally prepared for the lovers and the haters, right? The lovers are the people who love it and think it's a fantastic idea and let's do it tomorrow. And the haters who are concerned about cost or scope or time or people or whatever it might be. And you want to ensure that you're equally prepared for both sides so you can continue to make progress. The number one thing that will stop you in an organization or slow you down are the people who don't like your idea, who cause you to have to revisit and go back and redesign stuff. And if you had thought about those issues and concerns up front, your likelihood for making progress would be much more likely.
0: And they could be great advocates as well, can't they?
1: They can be. You know, oftentimes at organizations, people who have customer complaints will tell you they love a customer complaint because if they turn it around, they now have a great story that they can tell about how somebody came who didn't like the company or didn't like the service or offering that they provided, and we converted them. I mean, people love conversions. And so, you know, these haters, as I call them, are people who push back on your idea in the bell curve, are people who you can convert, who can become great heroes for your project, your initiative, whatever it is that you're trying to convey. And Uh, do to be more successful at your organization
0: it's a neat visual if you think about that whole bell curve Uh, i think it just helps give people the context of where their focus should be it's really neat like it good another section of your book which i found really intriguing was pausing is powerful tell us a little bit about how that came about
1: so this also came from client experience with business owners who are very very fast-paced and these are people who think about their business more than anybody thinks about their business. And they think about their business 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and operate at that speed. And most of the people who work for you, who love you and love what we do and love the organization are not you know 24 by seven by 52 weeks a year. And they find it hard to keep up. And so it's very important for leaders to recognize that their pace may be a little bit different than the pace of others. And in order to manage that pace a little bit, it can be very effective to pause. And so pausing is not stalling, pausing is not slowing down. Pausing is ensuring that you are saying to people things like, hey, you know, I heard a lot of great ideas at the meeting today. I'd like to think about them tonight, and I'll get back to everybody tomorrow with an update. It's providing an opportunity to slow down a little bit to ensure that you're thinking deeply about whatever it is that you need to do now. To remove issues and concerns and confusion later on. Most projects I worked on in organizations and most projects my clients have worked on, I ask, you know, are there times when you have kicked off a project down the road, do you have to pause or stop or redesign because there was confusion or people didn't do what they were told to do or people didn't understand what they were asked to do? And the answer, you know, 95% of the time is yes, we always do that. So pausing becomes a way to shift later what you're going to be doing to today to ensure that you're kicking it off much more effectively and reducing the likelihood that you're going to be late much closer to the deadline. I've also observed Ed that
0: those leaders who demonstrate that thoughtfulness before they respond
1: tend to create more buy-in as well. Well, they create much, much better connections. And I won't share the story today, but in my book, some of you who might be movie fans may remember the 2017 Oscar telecast where Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway announced the wrong picture. Yes, For remember it very well. Right. So that's a great example of pausing, because if Warren Beatty, upon looking at the envelope at the beginning, realized there was an error, he could have said, hey, folks, I need to pause for a minute. I don't think I have the right envelope. Someone would have come out. They would have given him the right envelope, which, you know, later on in photos, you could see he had the best actress envelope. He didn't have best picture. And the whole thing would have been solved. But, you know, Oscar telecast run long. Right. They uh, are historically run way longer than uh, longer than people would want. And it killed, you know, eight to 10 minutes of time with people apologizing and confusion and craziness because he didn't pause to. Think about what was happening.
0: It's a perfect example when you watch it back, isn't it, of communication, abdication, leadership. There's loads of little lessons
1: in there. Oh, absolutely. And you know, my favorite is when uh, you know he paused. He, well, I say he pauses, but he wasn't pausing. He was looking at the envelope, and he didn't know what to do. And people thought he was being melodramatic, right? Because sometimes you go silent before you announce a winner just to build up the uh, emotion in the room. But in reality, he didn't know what to do. So what does he do? He hands it to Faye Dunaway. (laughs) It's like, here, you you take care of this, right? I don't know what to do. And she announces it, of course, incorrectly, right? So the whole thing, to your point, was just a series of errors that could have been prevented if he paused at the beginning and said... You know, I think we need to do something a little bit differently here.
0: And just so our listeners know what we're talking about, I'll drop the YouTube link into our show notes so that when they've uh, finished listening to us talk, they can actually go ahead and watch it and it'll make more context for people. <laughs> that would be great. It's like you said, it's really interesting to watch. Sure is. So if I'm a leader, Ed, and I'm wanting to unlock my next career move, given your vast amount of experience both in the corporate world and as a leadership and team coach, what would be your recommendation? That I do. First.
1: Well, I'm a big fan of helping people build self-awareness. And so my first recommendation would be that you ask what I call the million dollar question. And the million dollar question is for subordinates. It's for peers. It's for bosses. It's a question that you ask, you know, two or three times a year. You don't ask it every week, but you ask it on occasion. And the question is, what's one or two things I could do differently to be more effective? And I like it because you're only asking for one of two things. You're not asking for you know 30 or 40. You're asking what you can do differently. You're not asking what you're doing that's bad or you know what can you do that's better because people don't like judging and they don't want you to feel like they're judging you. And difference is a nice leveled word. And then who wouldn't want feedback to be more effective? I'd love to give you feedback to help you be more effective. So I think if leaders are more curious in respect to how people are experiencing them in the workplace, listen really well to the feedback they're getting. And, of course, the answer is always thank you, no matter how critical or caustic it might be. You know, that's a great way to build your knowledge of how people experience you in the workplace and modify how you're operating in effective ways.
0: Right. like it. So now we get a chance to turn the leadership lens on you. And this is where I get a chance to hack into your leadership thinking and your leadership mind. oh first place I'd like us to kick off, though, would be to find out what would be your top three leadership hacks.
1: So I think I just shared one of them, which was to you know ask the million dollar question. This is not a question that gets asked a lot in corporations around the globe. And it would be super critical that people take time to find out more about how others experience them in the workplace. and. People you ask the question to will have one of three answers for you. Either they'll be ready to go and say, gee, I'm so glad you asked that question. Here's a couple of things I think you could do differently to be more effective. They might say, gee, that's a great question. I need to think about it a little bit. So can I give you an answer next week? Or they might say, you know what, Steve, you're the best boss ever. I can't think of anything different you could do to be more effective. Everything that you do is fantastic. And all three of those are possible, and you don't want to let people off the hook. So if they need more time, give them more time. If they tell you you're the best boss ever, thank them and say, you know, I'd love to still hear, and maybe you just need to observe a little bit differently what I can do a little bit different on my part to be more effective. So, you know, that's one leadership hack that I think people should take very seriously. The second is really to listen more. Leaders, uh, and we talked about it earlier, especially those leaders that don't pause, are go, 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 and believe that the higher they get in the food chain, the more they know. And because they know more, they can tell more. And it becomes a tell exercise. And of course, great leaders are not themselves the ones that make all those decisions and do all the great work, but they have a team of people who have careers who want to grow and get challenged and developed. And so, you know, listening more and listening a lot is a great way to uh, build your effectiveness as a leader. And most people can listen more. I can listen more, you can listen more. We can all listen more effectively to be better leaders. And then the third, uh, tied to listening more, is being more curious. Sometimes in order to listen, you have to ask questions. And so rather than uh, give answers to people uh, off the top of your head when someone comes into your office and says, hey Steve, client A called, they want us to do X, Y, Z, what do I do? Most telling leaders would tell you the answer, but you know what you might want to do is be a little bit more curious and say, wow, that sounds like a challenging problem. What do you think? And if the person says, well, I don't know, that's why I'm here, say, well, why don't you think about it a little bit? Why don't we meet later today at two o'clock? And why don't you come in with two or three things you think we could do differently to be more effective? And so being more curious, listening more, and asking the million-dollar question are all great ways to help you build your self-awareness. And they're
0: super hacks. I really love that whole philosophy of curiosity, by the way, because by default, you also start to create a coaching culture because you're asking the questions of other people to think on their feet, to be more agile in their thoughts. That's also uh, the start of our
1: coaching conversations. It is. And, you know, it's, it's amazing, Steve, because it sounds easy to do, but it is hard to do, right? So it sounds like an easy idea. Be more curious. Okay. And yet you have to remember to do it. And then you have to benefit from doing it and you have to do it on a recurring basis. I have had leaders who, you know, swear to me that they're being more curious. And then as I've seen them operate one on one with people, they're not curious at all. And, you know, one of the benefits of coaching is you can call people on it uh, without fear of bias or agendas. Uh, So it's really easy to think about, but hard to do.
0: Practice makes perfect, of course. And the more you do it, the more it becomes
1: second nature. You got it. Most of the things that I work on with clients, most of the things I think you do require practice.
0: It does. Yeah, absolutely does. So the next part of the show, we call it affectionately hack to attack. So this is where something in your work or your life in the past hasn't gone as well as planned. Maybe we screwed up with something. It may be that we've bumped into adversity. But as a result of that experience, we've used that experience as a learning in our life and our work. What would be your hack to attack?
1: So I think my hack to attack would be around transparency. I'll be very candid. When I first started my independent practice, I was looking for ways to generate revenue, but I was also not being very transparent with my significant other on how I was doing. And I was presenting a much more frostier rose-colored impression of how things were going than things really were because I didn't want her to have to worry. And, you know, that created a number of challenges for us from a relationship perspective. And so I learned and I can't remember when I learned it, but I essentially flicked a switch and began behaving in a different way. And today I'm extremely transparent with her about how it's going, what's working, what's not working. Did I land a client? Didn't I land a client? Things of that nature to ensure that she's very clear on how things are going. Cause if she's clear on how things are going, our life is clear on how we operate and how we can move forward. So I think a lot of people, when they start something new, whether it's, you know, I, I can make an endless list of projects, whatever, you know, maybe a little glossier and frostier in respect to how they're making progress. And you know, I would encourage people to really focus on clarity and transparency to ensure, you know, everybody is, Kind rowing in the same direction.
0: I love that. And I can resonate with that too, Ed, having had some similar experiences over my uh, <laughs> both consulting career and my corporate career. And you know what? What I've also learned is that people believe what you say. So if you say it's beautifully and it's gold and it's shiny, then there is an expectation that that's what you give. And if subsequently you can't deliver that, then you lose credibility, ironically, don't you? And of course, therefore, being transparent gives you the the opportunity to, to be candid and to be open and naturally and reduces lots of stress and anxiety that comes with it too.
1: Yeah. And you know, you make a great point regarding credibility, because if you're not transparent, you're losing credibility. And now you have to take more time to get back to zero and then grow credibility, right? So you've got to dig yourself out of a hole, even to get back to zero before you can start moving forward. So it's more work to get from where you might be if you're not transparent. And I just encourage people to be transparent because then you're starting from base and moving forward versus kind of digging yourself out of a hole.
0: Sure. So the final thing that we get to do today, Ed, is to do a bit of time travel. So our listeners will be very aware now that we're going to take you to a place when you are 21, and we're going to ask you to have the opportunity to give yourself some advice. What would your advice be to add at twenty one?
1: Well, at twenty-one, I was graduating from the University of Arkansas in beautiful Fayetteville, Arkansas, and heading out into a career in retailing where I would spend about twenty years and then another ten years working for a business to business services company. And you know, I think my advice would be, you know, ironically, is to find a way to Work for yourself sooner. Okay, yeah. Uh, You know, I left my last organization due to a layoff. I worry sometimes or I think sometimes I'd still be there today if that didn't happen. So what was the worst day of my life where I got laid off? I tell people 12 years later was the best day of my life because I got kicked out into the cold, cruel world of uh, unemployment and independent consulting. And it's turned out to be a fantastic, fantastic experience. And I wish I had done it sooner. If only
0: we could have had that crystal ball, right? (laughs) (laughs) If only. Exactly right. So, Ed, I guess from today, folk are probably listening, thinking, how do I get hold of a copy of Drive Your Career? And how can I learn a little bit more about the work that Ed does? Where's the best place they could, one, find the book, and two, learn a little bit more about your work?
1: So you can go to my website, Excelius.com, and that's dot com. You should get a pop-up that talks about Drive Your Career, and you can order the book there. It'll take you to a link that has a number of uh, ordering platforms across the globe to uh, order. So it's not just Amazon, but a, a bunch of other uh, connections that you can make to order the book. And uh, that also has a lot of information about me. So excelius.com or ed at is my email, and you can always contact me there for information. Awesome.
0: And all of the information about you, Ed, the website, your book, we'll make sure in our show notes as well. Fantastic, Steve. Thank you. Ed, it's been absolutely brilliant talking. Uh, it's no surprise to me why you've been so successful on your own outside of corporate America and helping others develop. And, you know, I, I wish you every success with Drive Your Career. I'm pretty certain it's going to be uh, a Big game changer for a lot of people looking to take responsibility to their career. But thank you ever so much for being
1: with us today on the Leadership Hacker podcast. Thank you, Steve. I really enjoyed speaking with you.
0: I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker instagram you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker and at youtube we're just leadership hacker so that's me signing off i'm steve rush and i've been the leadership hacker